God, thank you so much. God, thank you, Father, that we could come to you. Thank you that we can come to you when we're broken and be mended. Thank you that we can come to you when we're sick and be healed. Thank you that we can come to you when we have a broken heart and a broken spirit and be lifted up. Thank you, Father, that we can come, Lord, when, when, when we're hungry for you and be fed. Thank you, God, that we're allowed just to come into your throne room of grace. Thank you, Father, that, that you let us come and talk to you so that we might obtain mercy, Father. Thank you for that mercy. Thank you for this church, God. Thank you for these, your people. And God, I know you took one of the family, one of the family home two weeks in a row, God. We, we've seen a family member go home. And God, it makes it a little sweeter until we get there. But I pray you'd help us to be mindful about your business here, God. I pray you'd help us to, to stay the course and stay focused on our job here, Lord. To, to, to feed the sheep, to feed one another, and, and to reach the loss that the kingdom would be added to, God. I pray you'd take this tonight here in Acts chapter 25. In your word written by the hand of one of your very own apostles, God, through the writing of the Holy Spirit. You gave us this letter to teach us something, God, to, to strengthen us, Father, to, to mature us in you that we might walk out and serve you better. We love you, God. You've been good to us, Father. We just want to tell you thank you, and we want everything that we do to be pleasing to you. Bless this time. In Jesus' name we pray. God's people said, Amen. Acts chapter 25, if you want to turn there, we'll pick up. We left off last week. We kind of read the closing of chapter 24, and then... We, we read into 25 a little bit, just, just to catch up if anybody missed it. Paul, of course, has been accused by the Sanhedrin council of stirring up problem in the temple. He's been brought, he, he was brought on trial there by Felix, the governor of Caesarea. He has been held now as a prisoner for two years. They couldn't find him guilty, and Felix wouldn't find him innocent for fear of the Jews. So he's just been held captive for two years, and he, he, we saw last week where Felix brought Paul in and he talked with him on multiple occasions. It says it all the more often. He talked about one time specific, but more the often. So what we see is that Felix called Paul in quite often to talk to him. And each time, based on the scripture, when he called him in, what he was looking for was money. He was looking for a bribe. He, he knew, obviously, that Paul brought a lot of money to the church, so he wanted Paul to offer him money so that he could set Paul free and, and get out of it. But the only thing the apostle Paul offered is Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Paul, Paul offered him the only thing he needs. Paul offered him the only thing that matters, and he said, that's not what I want. That's not what I called you. He said, I called you in here to talk about that man the first time, but now I've heard about that man, and, and so, so he, he has resisted the, the gospel. Now, here after Paul has been there a couple years, there's a an uprising, if you will. There's somewhat of a civil war. I know it's not right in our story, but this is what happens. There's somewhat of a civil war takes place here at Caesarea between the Jews and the Gentiles. And when this war breaks out, Felix takes his soldiers. He has to take his soldiers, and he has to go in and basically beat down the Jews there at Caesarea and beat them back to get everything back under control. But we've talked about it quite often. It's a pretty big deal when you allow civil unrest in any Roman province. Romans are very strict about not allowing uproars in the street, not having any form of riot. So the fact that Felix has allowed this to happen in Caesarea, even though he took the army and beat it back down, 
He is now removed from office. That's why we see this changing of the guard that we have here in our text. That's why we see a new governor coming in. Felix has been summoned back to Rome to give an account for himself of the things that he allowed happen. And here in our text, we, we kind of finished up with, with the last verse there in chapter 24 that Portius Fester comes in to take his place. And he's going to go to Jerusalem. He comes in, he rests for three days from his trip there at Caesarea. And then he heads straight out to Jerusalem. So chapter 25, verse number one says that when Festus was coming to the province, after three days, he ascended from Caesarea to Jerusalem. Then the high priest and the chief of the Jews informed him against Paul and besought him, desired favor against him that he would send for him to Jerusalem, laying wait in the way to kill him. Festus answered that Paul should be kept at Caesarea. He himself would depart shortly thither. So what we see is that Festus wastes no time in going up to Jerusalem. He obviously wanted to get in good with these Jews. He, he wanted to, to feel how things really were. He wanted to see, I guess you'd say, the temperature of the atmosphere around the Jews and, and kind of get that. But, but he also wanted to establish a good relationship with these, these Jewish leaders. He knows very well the reputation of the Jews. The Jews are a very troublesome people to Rome. He, he understands uh, that, that the Jews are a very religious people and they are very touchy, I guess you'd say, about their religion. We, we see it. I'll read all on the Old Testament. Now, here we are in the New Testament, and it's a bit different. It's no longer... Holding up God's word is what they've been doing throughout the Old Testament. They're, they're actually against God now because they've rejected Christ. But, but they're very touchy about their, their religion there. And, and he knows that the, the, the Jews, they're very proud people. He knows that these religious leaders, these, these guys, this Sanhedrin, they are a very important piece of the puzzle if he's going to be successful in Caesarea. If he's going to keep peace in this region and, and he's going to gain points from, from the Caesar and, and he, he's going to be the man, he has got to have these religious leaders on his side. And it's important enough that after three days rest, after only three days arriving as governor of Caesarea, first thing he does is goes to Jerusalem to visit with these guys. Now, it's reasonable to assume that, that Festus has been pretty well versed on what a troublemaker Ananias is. I, I'm pretty sure going into it, he's been pretty well versed on um, what, what, a, what a scoundrel he is, a, a crooked guy. I mean, he, he, he's not the utmost of men to deal with. He's very crooked, does a lot of things. I, I'm pretty sure he's probably been versed on that. But nonetheless, he is the leader of this Jewish sect. He is the leader of this religious group. So, so he needs this guy on his side. The other person that knows that would be who? Ananias. Ananias knows we've got a new governor coming in now. And, and if, he wants, if he wants anything good to happen over here, he needs to come establish some things with us, So he, he knows he, he's coming and he knows why Festus is coming to Jerusalem. So, so they're, they're going to they're gonna right out the gate. They're, we're going to visit this about this Apostle Paul. We're, we're going to bring this thing back up again. See, it's amazing to me. It has been two years since they went in and took Paul. They told the lie. They stirred up the trouble. 
they, had, they were going to kill Paul, who they found out about it, and Paul has been carried to Caesarea. Felix has put him on trial. The Sanhedrin has come up and told their lies. There's no evidence against him. So basically, this thing has, from what we know of, has been laying somewhat dormant for, for the better part of two years. Felix has been having regular conversations with Paul, but now Felix is gone. And the very first thing, I, you know, you would think the Jews had something better in mind to do. You would think they wanted something more out of the Roman Empire than let's just kill Paul. I mean, you would think there would have to be something higher up, but there is no level of degree to hate. There is no level of degree to the hate against Christianity from those that are persuaded by the devil. A lot of things. Listen, the world can do something and the world's fine with it. And there's not a lot of hate and discontent. But let a Christian do something. Let's string them up. Let's put them up. And we see that here. This hate has carried over for two years. And our very first order of business is, hey, let's get this new governor to while he's here, let's get him have Paul. And they came up with the same old plan. Remember the plan? 40-something men, we're not going to eat or drink until we kill Paul. So send word down and have, them, and have um, the, the prisoner, the, the, uh, the head of the guards, to Lysias, have him bring Paul up. And along the way, they were going to kill him. And he heard about it. And Felix heard about it and took him with, with, the, with the 470 soldiers to Caesarea. Right? That was our plan, right? We're going to ambush this group. We're going to kill Paul. Here they are again. They're picking up right where they left off. Hey, bring him from Caesarea. And what we're going to do, we're going to have a bunch of people along the way. And, and we're going to kill Paul. Now, it seems like a simple enough request. Hey, when that governor gets here, let's just ask him. Hey, you just bring Paul up. And we'll make it sound legit, right? We, hey, bring him up. We have some accusations against this man. He's a prisoner. Bring him up. We, we just want to bring our charges against him and have you hear him if you bring him up here. But, I mean, I guess... I guess on Festus's part, I mean, surely these, these well-dressed, sophisticated, well-talking men, surely they're not up to no good, right? I mean, this isn't like when, when they were called out and they just came in what they had on. This is a meeting with the new governor, so they got on all their garb. They got on their robes, their hats, whatever they got. They're, they're all dressed for the occasion, so it would seem simple enough to, to ask to bring Paul. But for one... Festus has more than likely been warned about these guys. More than likely, he's got a pretty good idea that whenever they open their mouth, they're up to something no good. But the other side is, is this trial has already been referred to a Roman court. This started at a Jewish court until they found out he was a Roman and they were going to put it. And then, then they took him up here. So this has already been carried up from the little Jewish court up to a Roman court at Caesarea. Once something is moved up to the court, you don't drop it back down to the little circuit court. So, you know, Festus is his first order of business as governor. He don't want to take something that's already come from up here at the high court and drop it back down here, especially when you got to consider the fact it really just deals with these old Jews. And it's really just a question about their religion anyway that nothing anything about. So it's really just a little small matter. So, so he, and, and not only that, it involves a Roman citizen. It's a little Jewish squabble. But the man that, that is up there 
is a Roman citizen, so he's not going to bring him back down. He, he just says, look, Paul should be kept at Caesarea, that he himself would depart shortly. And he says, let them therefore, said, said he which among you are able, go down with me and accuse this man if there be any wickedness in him. And when he had tarried among them more than 10 days, he went down into Caesarea and the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, commanded Paul to be brought. Now, we don't, we don't have a lot and I'm not making stuff up. I'm just, I'm just kind of thinking, what, what did he do here for, for more than 10 days? Really, his whole purpose for coming was just to bond with the Jewish elite, right? I don't know. I'm, I'm just speculating. They probably showed in the temple. Part of the temple is viewable. You got the no trespassing signs. And there's no Gentile beyond this point. Only Jews. But, but there, there are the courts of the Gentiles. There are places that the Gentiles can go. And I wouldn't doubt that they didn't show him some of the do's and don'ts. And that's probably maybe even some things that they tried to use as their accusations against Paul. These are absolutes in our law. You can't break these. And Paul did. Even though it's a lie, he didn't. He was in there with four Jewish men trying to help him fulfill an oath. But, but for whatever it is, he, he stays there for, for 10 days. And then the next day, when, it says when they get back, he calls Paul up for a trial. In verse 7, when he was come to the Jews, the Jews which come down from Jerusalem stood round about and laid many grievous complaints against Paul, which they could not prove. While he answered for himself, neither against the law nor the Jews, neither against the temple nor yet against Caesar have I offended anything at all. So the case against Paul has been reopened as though it's a brand new trial. And technically it is. The main piece to the puzzle is this governor. And the governor's the one that couldn't find Paul guilty the first time because he wasn't. And now you have a brand new governor. So, you know, remember the last time? Remember when we looked at it, how it took the Sanhedrin five days to come? When Felix called, it was five days. And we talked about it took them five days to get their lives planned. It took them five days to get all the stories told. And remember, they brought a Roman-speaking, basically, attorney with them to do their dirty talk for them. They've had two years to work on it now. They've had two years to get their lies straight, and they still don't have it right. So they come up, and they, they bring up all their lies. They make all their attempts against Paul. And Paul simply says, I have committed no crime. They have no proof of the lies that they're telling. I have committed nothing against the temple. I have committed nothing against these Jews. And I have committed nothing against Rome or against Roman rule. There, there, are, there are no charges that have any proof. So there it is. It's their word against Paul's word. But as we know, the law is the law. And the law has always been the law in this. If you have an accusation, it's up to you to provide proof. Innocent until proven guilty, although seems to vanish these days, it's still been a part of the law. For a long time. So if they want anything against Paul, it's up to them to provide some proof. So you have to think Festus sees this for what it is. He spent more than 10 days with the Jews. He's heard them talk. He's heard them talk. He's heard them talk. And we'll see in a little bit. He was expecting some big things from them. He really was. He's expecting some great witness and some great proofs. He's expecting something good. I mean, these guys are the Jewish elite. They're the well-dressed. They're the head of the Jews. He's expecting something good. And, and they come and, and they bring nothing. Now, he can look at Paul. He can talk to Paul. Paul's a very sensible man. He, he's a very intelligent man. He's a very eloquent speaker. He's obviously not some crazy lunatic. He's obviously not one of these guys out that's trying to start a revolt against Rome. It's pretty easy to see how level-headed this man Paul does. So, so what is, what's he going to do? 
He can't condemn Paul because there's no evidence. That's what he wanted to do for the Jews because he wanted to gain their friendship, but he can't, he can't condemn him, but he sure can't let him go because he, he needs the friendship of the Jewish elite. So he's not going to let him go. So, so what am I going to do now? Hmm. Hmm. All of a sudden, what they offered back in Jerusalem don't sound so bad. All of a sudden, maybe I should have stayed at Jerusalem. Maybe I should have just had them bring. Well, it's okay. You know what we can do? We, we can take Paul down there now. I mean, obviously, this is a religious matter concerning the Jews' religion. So maybe, maybe we could handle this at Jerusalem. I could, I could go back down there and preside over that court. And, and, and you know, if I let them handle this, then, then my hands will be clean. And we'll have peace in the region. And I'll have good favor with the Jews. So, so maybe... Maybe let's just take him back to Jerusalem. See, he's not worried about justice here. He's not worried about finding the truth. He's not worried about finding what's right. He's worried about make me look good. That's all he's worried about. I need to befriend these guys so that they do right, so that I look good to, to the Roman Emperor Caesar. And, and th this is all about him. So he suggests to Paul in verse number 9, willing to do the Jews a pleasure, he answered Paul and said, Wilt thou go up to Jerusalem and there be judged <laughs> of these things before me? He don't understand. Paul still has an ace in the hole. See, Paul, Paul had an ace up his sleeve a while back. Remember when Lysias arrested him and they first pulled him out of the mob and they were beating on him? Remember he was going to have him scourged, which is the 39 lashes, and most men don't even survive the scourging. Y'all remember? He's going to have him beat, and they were just about to beat him. They already beat him up pretty good. They're just about to scourge him when Paul pulls his ace out and says, Is it right to scourge a Roman uncondemned? And they were like, Excuse me? You're a who? So, so Paul pulls his ace out then, and, and, and he puts a stop to that because they learned that he's a Roman citizen. So all of a sudden, he's got a whole new realm of rights that they didn't know he had. They thought he was just some little low-life Jew, and, and they would treat him like they want. So, so Paul plays that one. But Paul still has another ace in, in his sleeve right here. Paul still has another trump card that, that he can play because it is the right of any natural-born Roman citizen to refer any case to Caesar. Any. Not, not Roman citizenship that is purchased. We saw that Lysias, the captain of the guards, he bought his Roman citizenship. And the text said, at a great sum of money. So you could, if you had a lot of money, you could buy a Roman citizenship, but it didn't buy you the Roman right. The Roman right as a citizen, which Paul said, he was, he was a Roman of his father. So, so he has this natural-born citizenship, and he pulls it out, and he says, I, I want to send my, my case up to Caesar. Paul said in verse number 10, I stand at Caesar's judgment where I ought to be judged. To the Jews, I've done no wrong, as thou very well knowest. He's looking at the new governor. I don't figure he's got a smile on his face. I kind of don't figure he's trying to get into your, your royal majesty, highness, humdrum junk. I think he's pointing it out pretty clear. I have done nothing to these guys, and you know it. You know I've done anything wrong. 
They ain't proven anything. You sat here and said, I'm innocent, and, and you know it. Paul didn't even answer the man's question. The question is, will you go up to Jerusalem with me to be heard? He don't even answer the question. He knows these Jews way better than Festus does. And he says, you think you're going to get me into some little thing uh, over some cheap trick so that you can get some favor with the Jews. Paul says, I, I, I've been around a little longer than that. Here's what I think about your spineless act. He, he says, if I be an offender or have committed anything worthy of death, I refuse not to die. But if there be none of these things whereof these accuse me, no man may deliver me unto them. I appeal unto Caesar. See, that, that right there, that I appeal unto Caesar, those are very powerful words. If I be offender or have committed anything worthy of death, I refuse not to die, but if, but if there be none of these things whereof they accuse that these accuse me, no man may deliver me unto them. I appeal unto Caesar. So that, that's what we, we were just talking about. That I appeal unto Caesar, that is, a, that is a Roman right. That means no matter what I'm accused of, no matter what has happened at this point, I appeal, I want my case to be heard from Caesar. I want to be taken to Rome and be heard of Caesar. And you can't do anything about it now. Now, on the good side, he can't find him guilty. On the bad side, he can't find him innocent. Once he has appealed to Caesar, that, that here, here's, the, here's the problem for Festus. Paul is innocent and he knows it. Yeah. He, he don't have a case against Paul and he knows it. This should have been an open and shut case. The Jews should have brought it in. He should have heard the case when they had no evidence. He should have done what that spineless figure Felix should have done two years ago, set Paul free. He didn't. He's kept him there. And I guess he figured if Paul kept him, I mean, if, if Felix kept him for two years, I guess I can keep him for a while. And he doesn't set him free. What he should have done was set him free and then stood up to the Jews. But now he's got a problem. Now he's got to send an uncondemned Roman accused of a religious act by the Jews, which Caesar don't give a flying two cents about. He don't care about no Jew, and he don't care about none of their religious yab-yab. He don't want to hear it. That's why I got governors down there to take care of this stuff, so I don't have to do this garbage. So don't be sending your little petty nothings to me. That's what you're there for. Well, guess what he's got to do? He's got to send his little petty nothing up to Caesar. Because Paul said, I want to see you. You understand, he, he, he's in a pretty tight situation. He, he can't just ignore this request. This was made at a trial, so this was made in public. You got to understand, there's people at this trial. It's not just the Sanhedrin and, 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 and him sitting there listening. You got all of the court high up. There, there, there's a court, uh, a group, a support group. You got people, citizens of Caesarea that would have been there. So there's a lot of people that heard that. And, and so now he's got to send a prisoner to Rome of which he does not. And we'll see. We'll see. It's a little bit later in this letter. He's got to send a prisoner to Rome that he don't even have a charge against. When you send a prisoner off, you know, we saw it. When, when, when Paul was sent to Caesarea, he was sent with the letter, right? Y'all remember? The, the letter is to dictate what the charges are. Anytime a prisoner is transported, he's transported with a group of soldiers, and there's a letter, there's a list of charges, there, there are accusations. This is why I'm sending him to you. This is what he's charged of. He don't even have anything to write. 
He, he doesn't even have anything to, to send him for. So he, he's backed himself into a bad corner. Verse number 12, Festus, when he had conferred with the council, answered, Hast thou appealed unto Caesar? Unto Caesar thou shalt go. Now, one thing I want to point out right here, because most of the time when Luke talks about the council here in the book of Acts, he's talking about the Sanhedrin. If, if you look at the word there and you look at the Greek word that he uses, most of the time he's referring to the council of the Jews. That's not the case here. This, this is a different word. He, he's referring to counselors and advisors on the Roman court. He's advising, he, he's talking about the, the advisors uh, of the governor and, and those within the, the, the courtroom there, that they're Roman advisors. So when Paul says that, it says he confers with, with the Roman advisors. What am I going to do now? So this is his only answer. He can't have another answer. I'm sure that's what they advised him. He's probably trying to get out of it. But he comes back with the answer. You want to go to Caesar? You're going to go to Caesar. That's what you asked for? That, that, that's, listen, there's no telling what Festus might have been thinking right here. There, there's no telling what he might have been expecting from Paul. There's no telling what kind of answer. We know what Felix was expecting. He was expecting money. The scripture told us that, right? He's expecting money. So there's no telling what Festus might have been expecting. But one thing I bet you he wasn't expecting. He wasn't expecting Paul to say, just send me to Caesar. I'll just appeal my case over to the highest court in the land. So now he's got to send this, this uncondemned Roman accused by a bunch of Jews over religious matter up to Rome. And I don't even have... A charge to send with him looks pretty incompetent, doesn't it? He, he's been governor for less than a month. He was sent to take Felix's place. And now here, here he is with, with this situation. It's a pretty drastic turn of events for him. And he shows up. He goes to Jerusalem. He's got it all figured out. I'm going to befriend the Jews. I got everything all worked out. Once I settle these guys, I'm just going to run the region. He's going to do what he does anyway. He, he gets killed about two years later. We'll see it later on. But he, he, he just hides and hunts up thieves. And he puts down people trying to raise up. And things against Rome. And, and that's kind of what he thinks he's there for. He thinks he's got it all under control. But, but th this is a big turn of events. Do you understand how the Apostle Paul can write something like Romans 8.28 that we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose? Do you understand how the Apostle Paul can write something like that and mean it with everything in him. I, I mean, here he is in the middle of lies, in, in the middle of the deceit, in the middle of the mockery of judgment, if there be any judgment. He is in the middle of all these false accusations when God makes a way out of no way to get him to Rome to preach the gospel the way God said he would go to Rome and not just to preach in Rome, but to preach to the Caesar. God made a way out of no way. God took what looks bad, looks like he's going to get beat to death, put him in a prison down here in Jerusalem, took him from there like he's going to get killed, put him in a prison at Caesarea, kept him there safe for two years, looks like he's going to get uh, maybe trapped into a deal and, and killed by the Jews again, and now God fulfills a plan, you're going to preach it wrong. That's where it all started to begin with. When, when God, when the Holy Spirit told him to leave over at Asia, he was to go to Jerusalem. And he said, as you preach in Asia, you must also preach in Rome. There ain't no depth of hell can stop him from getting to Rome. 
So, so there's this crooked path. But Paul knows what he's talking about. When he says somehow in God's economy, when you take all the bad stuff and you add everything, you put it all together, it's all going to work out for God's glory. So Herod, verse number 13, it says that after certain days, King Agrippa and Bernice came to Caesarea to salute Festus. They come to welcome the new governor. This, this would have been Herod the second. This is the son of Herod Agrippa who had James killed with the sword and had Peter arrested and was going to have him. This is his son. Now, this is the last of the Herods of king of the Jews, if you will. Thank God, because they weren't a very good group to have around. Herod the Great, he's the one that had all the babies killed at Bethlehem, trying to kill the Messiah when he heard he was here. Herod Antipas was the one that, that had John the Baptist beheaded. Herod Agrippa was the one that killed James and wanted to kill Peter. And now here you got his son, and he's brought in to be a part of trying to kill Paul. So thank God he's, he's the last of the Herods. You're done with him after that. But, but here he is. He's about to meet the Apostle Paul, the, the certainly the most decorated and the most educated of all the apostles. Remember the other apostles, they're fishermen, right? You do have Matthew, a tax collector. There, there's some education in there. But, but Paul, by far, with, with his teaching, is the most educated, the most well-spoken, the, the most eloquent of all of them, and, and certainly the most well-traveled. And we've seen how the most of, uh, of the apostles, they traveled a little bit. And even with Peter went a little bit, you know, as we looked at back at earlier in the story before we turned to Paul. But none of them are so traveled like Paul. Paul is what started missionary journeys in the church. That's, that's where it all started out. And it says in verse 14 that when they'd been there many days, Festus declared Paul's cause unto the king, saying, there's a certain man left in bonds by Felix. So obviously Felix is, is doing, I mean, Festus is doing a lot of kissing up here to Agrippa, trying, trying to get on his good side. You see that by the length of time that he stays there. He's been there many days. But one, one thing to make sure you understand about this King Agrippa, he is not the superior to this governor. He is at best a Roman hand puppet. He, he is of the Jews and the Romans, basically they give him that spot and they, they call it king. They give him that to, to try to use him as a hand puppet to keep peace in, in the region. But he doesn't have more authority than Festus. Festus is the Roman governor over the region. But what he does have is the capacity to help Festus. What he does have is the capacity to help smooth things with the Jews and help him in this current situation. So, so after pouring the butter on smooth, he says, there's a certain man left in bonds by Felix about whom when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews informed me, desiring to have judgment against him, to whom I answered. It is not the manner of the Romans to deliver any man to die before that which he is accused, have the accusers face to face and have license to answer for himself concerning the crime laid against him. So Festus is trying to put the blame back here uh, to, to his superiors. He's trying to put it back on Felix and say, listen, he's kept this man here for two years. He's the one that, that brought this in. I, I've come in and I'm trying to come up with a resolution. I, I'm trying to make it all right. And we know that's a lie here. We've already let Paul go, right? We already know that's a flat out lie because he already, he said he has no charges against him. But it says, therefore, when they will come here, without any delay on the morrow, I sat on the judgment seat and commanded the man to be brought forth. He's like, man, as soon as I heard about it, I brought him in. The next day I brought him in, was going to hear it. Against whom the accuser stood up, they brought none accusation of such thing as I suppose. Remember what I said a minute ago? He was thinking they were going to have some good charges. 
He was thinking they had some proof. He was thinking they had some witnesses. He was thinking they had some evidence. He was thinking they had something detrimental to Paul's case to bring in. And he says they brought none accusation of such thing, I suppose. They, they didn't bring anything in but a bunch of smack. They just, they just came in talking their stuff. He said, but had certain questions against him of their own superstition, terrible word, of their own superstition, and of one Jesus, who is this guy? They said he was dead. Paul affirmed him to be alive. That, that's what all this discussion was about. That's, so so here, here's the deal. Festus may, may not know who this man Paul is, and, and he obviously doesn't know anything about Jesus. But there seems to be in his mind, there seems to be some question among them about this man, Jesus, as to whether or not he's dead or alive. They're saying he's dead. Paul, Paul says he's alive. So, so Festus, he may not know, but Agrippa does. Agrippa knows who Jesus is. Agrippa knows who Paul is. He, 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 he's, from, he's from the Jews. He's around. So, so he understands some things. He knows something about the death and the burial of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he, he's too young to have lived it. He was only 17 years old when his father died. And he was a prince for a while because he wasn't old enough to be the leader. And some things transpired, take place, so eventually be, becomes king. But, but we're, we're about 25 years right here in this part of the story. We're about 25 years on the New Testament side of the cross. And he's 17 years old. So he didn't know Jesus. He wasn't at the crucifixion. He wasn't there, but, but he's heard a lot. You can rest assured being around his father's house and a grip and all that happened. He knows about Jesus. But, but here, here's the part. Here's the part that I hate. Festus refers to the Jews' God and the Jewish religion as superstition. Man, what a disgrace. What a disgrace that they have fallen so far from the power of God. What a disgrace that they have fallen so far from the truth of the gospel that for the world outside looking in, this ain't nothing but a superstitious racket. This is just like a bunch of old hens cackling, fighting together, and, and, and just arguing. You know, the Jews in the Old Testament, they were, listen, we owe them a great debt. They were great custodians of this book. If it weren't for the Jews, you can start right there at Malachi and go backwards and not have it. If it wasn't for the Jews, you don't have the law and the prophets. You don't have the books of the Old Testament. They were adamant about keeping this book perfect. They were God's anointed, God's chosen. And the scribes go in and study about what they had to go through and how the lamb had to be perfect white, never touched by a Gentile, prepared only by the Levites, and, and only the scribes could do it. There had to be a certain ink done, and when they wrote down, they had to do one letter at a time, and to write the name Jehovah, they had to get up, change their pen, wash themselves, change their clothes, to even write the name Jehovah down on a sheepskin. They were very adamant about keeping the word of God perfect and keeping the word of God pure. They were God's chosen and God's anointed, but they have fallen so far from the truth of the word of God that when mankind looks on him, he calls it a superstition. What a disgrace. What a disgrace. That's why it's so important. If you're going to walk out there and call yourself a Christian, glory to God, live like it. If we're going to walk out there and we're going to call work, if our neighbors know we go to church on Sunday, act like it on Monday. Otherwise, Otherwise, my neighbor is just some superstitious freak that goes to church on Sunday. 
If they don't see Christ, here's a better way to put it. When we claim to be a Christian, what they see in us is who Christ is. Now, if we are a hypocrite, Christ is a hypocrite. If we are a liar, Christ is a liar. If we are a troublemaker, Christ is a troublemaker. If we are rambunctious and unruly and stirring up stuff, then Christ is rambunctious. You understand, all they know about Christ is what they see in us. You see it. You see it right here in the story. They, he looks at these Jews. He says, look, I, he don't even know who this Jesus is. You know the sad part of it? it is the, the apostle Paul, the, the greatest, most eloquent apostle of all, probably the greatest gospel teacher that ever lived, is standing before him with the presentation of the Messiah that could have offered. He could have been saved and he couldn't care Less because he's got such a bad taste in his mouth about that God over these Jews. He don't care nothing about your religion. In this world, ain't no different with you and I. If they can't see Christ in us, then save your breath inviting them to church and tell them you go somewhere else. Give them a name, invite them to somewhere else down the street. Do you understand the importance of why we have to live it? Well, I was out of time anyway, so I didn't mean to stop and preach, but I didn't have any choice. It is important that we live Christ-like. Because when, 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 when the Festus that lives next door to us, when the Festus that works at the gas station, when the Festus that works at the grocery store, that, that the machine didn't work right, and the person in front of you held you up, and, and you, you've been in line for 10 minutes when you should have been there for 30 seconds, and you're ticked off, and you come up to that Festus working right there that you're fixing to vent your anger on, when, when the Festus that works beside us, when the Festus that works with us, when the Festus that goes to school with us, when they see how we live, if it don't look like Christ, they don't want what you got. But when they can see joy on your face in the midst of sorrow, when, when they can see you smile in the middle of a storm, when they can see you love somebody that you should have cussed out from the world's perspective, when they can see you be kind to somebody, when they can see you pray before you eat your lunch, when they can see you sit down at lunch and read the word of God during half of your lunchtime and see that it matters to you, when they see that, they can know when they get into trouble, you got something that they want. They may be slow coming around, but I promise if it looks anything like what these guys has got, then to the world, all you've got is your superstitious religion. Well, we didn't, we got a little over halfway through in my nose, but that's all right. Lord willing, there'll be a next Wednesday. And if they're not, we'll all be dancing together, right? Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for being so good, God. Lord, will you, will you help us, Father, for the world to see Christ in us and Christ through us? God, they may, may they see your goodness. God, I pray you'd help us, Father, to live a life pleasing to you. I pray your light would shine through us. It would bring a light into this dark world that no man can deny, God. I pray you'd help us, Father, to, to not be in that way that people would look and, 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 and look on you as, as a superstitious religion, God. I pray you'd help us, Father, to be pleasing to you in everything that we do, Lord. I pray for this group of people here, Father, for every family, every home represented, God. I pray you put a hedge of protection about them. I pray your grace be upon them. I pray your strength be with them. We love you, God. 
We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.